Our scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Hear God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your son, our Savior Jesus. And we come in his name, we pray, and we ask that you would open our eyes, Holy Spirit, and our ears. All of us need that. Maybe you would even save some tonight who have come with no real expectation. And maybe you would, this night, creating us new hearts that really delight in the good news of Jesus, the one who is our salvation. Protect this time, Lord. Let us be present and really lean in that we might be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow morning, there will be children who open a package and find all the delight that they had anticipated. From circling a toy on a magazine to telling a parent over and over again, maybe even waiting in a long line to tell a dude what he wants for Christmas. And they'll open it, and there it is, in all its glory. And they don't really, well, they don't even know how to describe what they're feeling. But then as it's, open further, they realize it has to be put together. So there'll be a delay. And for some children, it will be put together, but it still won't work. It'll be broken. And the parents will be sad, and they'll say, we'll take it back. When? When the store is open. And no parent is excited about going back to the stores the day after Christmas to return something that's broken. But it's going to happen. And when you're longing for something and you, you have it. It's almost as if you can, you can see it and taste it, yet you don't get it. You don't get what you wanted. It's sad. It's frustrating. It's frustrating for a child, but even more so for an adult. This baby that we celebrate tonight, Jesus, was perfect. He was 100% God, 100% man. 
At the beginning, those around knew that this was an unusual birth. They knew that this was an unusual child, but they wouldn't really know all they would see. And it wouldn't be long, some 30 years, and they would begin to see this man do what no other man could do. And people would begin to make judgments about him. People hated him, but they could not deny that he was doing things that only God could do. Blind people could suddenly see, deaf people could suddenly hear, dead people walked out of tombs. But there was a moment when there was a blind man and Jesus touched him and there were witnesses watching and all the witnesses watching, I'm sure expected that just like all the times before, this man would see and he would see clearly, but he didn't. Jesus spoke, it seemed as if he healed and then he asked the man this question, what do you see? And the man said, I see people, and they look like trees. His eyes weren't perfectly healed. It looked as if Jesus had failed. It looked as if Jesus did not have all the power that was necessary, or didn't say it in the right way, or didn't touch him in the right way, because this man could not see perfectly. He could see something, but he couldn't see it clearly. Why? Can you imagine being that man? Could you imagine being friends of that man, knowing that he had done it perfect other times? Why not this time? And Jesus simply touches him. He, he speaks to him. He tells him, what is it you see? I see people that look like trees. Did Jesus lack power? Did this one who had done all these miracles suddenly not have the connection he needed? Was he not who he said he was? Of course not. There was something happening that was far more important. You know what it was? It was a teachable moment for those who had been following him. The disciples who had been following Jesus had just witnessed Jesus again feed thousands of people with just a few elements. Pretty remarkable. And as soon as that was over, the disciples got in the boat with Jesus, whom the gospel calls the bread of life. And they begin to argue like two brothers. They begin to argue about who forgot the bread. Think about it. The bread of life, the one who just fed thousands is in the boat with you and you're arguing about who forgot to bring bread. And you know what Jesus says? Do you have eyes but don't see? Do you have ears but don't hear? He didn't say much more until he comes to a blind man. And then he touches the blind man. And the blind man sees, but he doesn't see. Jesus didn't lack power. He was trying to teach them a lesson. A lesson that could be taught 2,000 years later to a group of people like us. Do you have eyes, but don't see? Do you, you somehow see and hear all that's around you, but don't really see what's happening? I'm glad you're here. I have that problem. I'm like the disciples. I can see so much, but fail to see, hear so much, but, but truly miss it. Jesus completed the healing. The man eventually saw perfectly. And guess what, Christian? You will too one day. You will see Jesus perfectly as he is. 
And this side of heaven, he continues to give us moments where we see more and more clearly. But I know that there are people here tonight, just as there were at five. And if you're honest, you'd say, I don't really see. I don't really hear. I'm only here to make my mom happy or my dad happy or a grandparent or a girlfriend. You're here. And might it be because this baby who grew to a man who did this miracle has brought you to a place where you might see. I hope you see. I hope you'll look. I hope God will open your eyes just as he's opened mine. That he'll open them even more. So let's dive in. For a few minutes tonight, let's look and let's listen. You've been looking and listening for a long time. I don't know if it took you very long to get to the church tonight, but it took me longer than normal on a Christmas Eve. I come pretty early, but the traffic was terrible. Did anybody notice that? There were people in front of me who were going so slow. How rude of them. How rude of them to drive so slow to look at all the beautiful lights that were all around. The ones that irritated me the most were the ones with out-of-state plates. What, what are you doing messing up my Christmas? Looking at people's lights. You know why I was in a hurry? Not because I had to get here so early, but because I've seen them. Haven't you? Those in your neighborhood? How many times have you passed by those lights? but really haven't noticed. I don't want to encourage anybody to do something creepy, but I want you, as you drive home tonight, look at the beautiful lights. And in some of the homes, you're able to see inside the house. They put a tree up for you to notice the beauty of their decorations. Look at that tree. Don't stop, don't get out of the car, don't go up to the window. That's going to create a whole different experience for you tomorrow. <laughs> but look, look, stop, pay attention. Because people, many who don't even believe the things that we're talking about tonight, have decorated their homes at this season. And through their windows, you can see these glorious decorations. Through these windows, you can see that people have wanted to celebrate something. And if you're a Christian, it's been all about this moment where we celebrate our Savior Jesus. In our sanctuary, we have beautiful windows. You can't really see much of them right now. The outside lights, the external lights were on, you can see some of them. But I, I imagine that many of you who worship here Sunday after Sunday could tell me barely anything about them. And yet, they're intricate. They tell the story from the beginning to the end, the story of rescue. They're pretty amazing. We even have a pamphlet about them that you should take off of our literature rack and look at it. It's amazing. But my point is made that we can come into a place like this and become so familiar with it that we don't even see the beauty that's around us. Well, why am I going to this place of windows. Because the song that you're about to hear, O Holy Night, began because of windows. During this Advent season, each Sunday morning, the pastors have been preaching from texts and scriptures that are connected to the carols of Christmas that we love to sing. It's been a beautiful journey. This Sunday, we'll finish with Joy to the World, which really is a second Advent hymn. It's about the coming or the return of Christ. We end our service tonight with that song too. It's going to be beautiful. But this is an interesting hymn. 
Oh, Holy Night. I want to tell you a bit about it in terms of background, and then I want to make a few points before we do what this carol is calling us to do, to bend our knees down and then to rise and worship the king. Placide Capot was a French poet. He was born in 1808. At the eight years of age, he had a terrible accident while at a friend's house, and his hand had to be amputated. At the friend's house, his father felt so bad for the accident that he paid for his education so that he could attend a good school and begin to learn, and he did. He was so gifted and talented that though he only had one hand, he won the art award. He was an amazing man. His family was in winemaking and selling. And in 1847, a priest in the local parish, who was friends of his, asked him if he would come up with something for a Christmas pageant he was organizing. Something new, something meaningful, something powerful, in an effort to help the priest raise money for the church window fund. Church windows mattered. He told the story. So it's 1847, it's December 3rd. Capot is on a trip, a business trip. He's halfway home when suddenly the inspiration hits for the hymn. He's on a carriage, horse-drawn carriage, and he begins to write the words to O Holy Night. Upon writing those words and arriving in Paris, Capot and his poem found themselves in the company of the leading opera composer, Adolphe Adam. Adam set the poem to music in just a few days, and then Emily Laurie gave the first performance at midnight mass, Christmas Eve, 1847. Years later, in America, a man named John Dwight would translate that, not a literal translation as you'll see in a moment, but the translation we now have. Something very interesting about this hymn, this carol, is that it was the first piece of music ever played live on the radio, ever, anywhere. Canadian engineer Reginald Fessenden set up the very first AM broadcast at his base at Brant Rock, Massachusetts. His, his great desire was to see this music broadcast and so on Christmas Eve, 1906, after playing several pieces of Mendelssohn, he then moves towards the microphone with his violin, and he plays Oh Holy Night. It was heard as far as the West Indies. He made a promise that at the end, he would have it played again on New Year's Eve, and he did. The, the translation that John Dwight brought is the one that you'll hear sung tonight and the one that you're very familiar with. It's one of my favorite moments of the year when someone with a gifted voice using their gifts to bring God glory opens my eyes as the Holy Spirit moves to see again the sacredness of this night, O Holy Night. In your bulletin on page five, you'll see the hymn. I want you to look there for a moment. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. It is the night. There was a night in all of history 
When God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit ordained that at this moment, in this time in history, at this particular place on earth, Mary, the one who conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit, so that this child would not be born in sin, gave birth. There was a night. It was a night marked on a calendar. A night that was set apart, which is what holy means. And Jesus was born. But the song doesn't speak just of a regular birth. It speaks of the Savior's birth, which implies that people need a Savior. But saved from what? Julian pointed it out in our confession. Saved from what? The reason much of the world doesn't care too much about what we're doing tonight is because they really don't see that they need a Savior. They need someone who would come to take the sin upon themselves, that they would become sin, that we might be freed and forgiven from sin. And that's why God the Father sent his Son. In this song, O Holy Night, as Dwight translated it, it is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Much of it, frankly, is watered down from what the original poem said. It's still beautiful, it's still glorious, we should still sing it the way it's sung, but I want to read to you the first stanza of the original poem that Paul wrote when he was on the carriage. Listen, you've probably never heard this. The hymn wasn't titled, O Holy Night, it was titled, Christians, It Is Midnight. Listen, Christians, it is midnight, the solemn hour when the God-man came down to us. Let's stop there. In this great carol, he begins by setting up the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man. That's a mystery. We can't comprehend, but it's the truth. He was 100% God, 100% man, this baby that was born in this stable. Paul writes, Christians, it is midnight, the solemn hour when the God-man came down to us. And listen to what he writes. To wipe away original sin. The great problem, my friends, that we all have is that we live in a fallen world where Adam and Eve, the first two representatives of mankind, a real man and a real woman, they were born into this earth. And they were born... And they were not sinners. But they were given the opportunity to obey the Lord and not eat from this one tree that he commanded them not to eat from. But they disobeyed. They took the fruit and they ate. And that's called original sin. And that sin has been a curse that has gone to every man, every woman ever created. Kapo writes and speaks that this God, man, came down to us to wipe away original sin. That's why Jesus in the word of God is called the second Adam. The first Adam failed, but not the second Adam. He has come to wipe away original sin. But the original poem continues. And to end his father's anger. Wow. Wow. No wonder we don't sing this at Christmas time. <laughs> Truth is, 
this Frenchman distanced himself from these original lyrics. They were so orthodox. Swept up in the Enlightenment, he really began to translate them in a different way. But this is his original poem. Unfortunately, we all do that at times. We don't like the idea of an angry God. We don't like the idea of an angry father, do we? But the truth is, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to wipe away original sin. Jesus came to end his father's anger. The father's anger was poured out. It's called his wrath. It's an attribute of God. It was just and it was perfect, but it was poured out on Jesus. This babe who would become and grow into a man who would live a perfect life, who never sinned. His, his whole life became this perfect life. The object of the father's perfect wrath. So that you who believe in Jesus, me who believes in Jesus, would not have to receive the father's wrath which I deserved. That's amazing to me because that's why we need a savior. He writes on, the whole world trembles with hope on this night that gives us a savior. And listen to what he calls people to. People, to your knees. This is the poem. This is the one that the opera star wrote, then sung. People, to your knees, await your deliverance. Noel, Noel, behold, which means see, the Redeemer. Are you tonight in a place where you're saying, I want, to, I want to behold the Redeemer. I want to see anew the Savior Jesus. As this translation was given to us, again, it's not a literal translation, but it's beautiful. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Then maybe my favorite line in the whole hymn, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its what? Worth. What does the word pining mean? Pining is what is happening inside those windows behind the beautiful decorations. Pining is what is happening inside every home as people long for something more. The word pining means to yearn deeply. It means to suffer with longing. And because of original sin, that's what we all do. Behind every door, through every window, in every home, people are living in the reality of sin. They're living in the reality of a broken world. They experience it in broken relationships. They experience it with deteriorating bodies. They experience it quickly when they turn the news on. It's broken because of sin. And behind the beautiful decorations, there is pining. There's pining in my house and there's pining in yours. Even in the homes where a passerby might say, look, they have everything. The people inside that have everything are saying, is this it? Is there more? Yes, there's more. And the more is a person. 
And the person is Jesus Christ. And this person has come to live this life that you could never live and to die the death that you and I both deserve to die. And he gives us hope. Hope that lasts for all eternity. Actually, a hope that will lead you into eternity so you need hope no more. And so the Frenchman in his poem closes it with these words. People, arise. Sing of your deliverance. Noel, Noel, let us sing about the Redeemer. Jesus Christ came for one purpose. He came to glorify his Father by living the life that the perfect sacrifice had to live, and he did, and to die the death that would take the Father's wrath, just wrath. He came for one purpose, to glorify God by rescuing his people. Have you been rescued? Do you know of the Savior's love? I loved how in our prayer of adoration together, we spoke of how heaven could offer no more. And what that ultimately means is this. Behind every window, in every window, through every window, in every house, there are people that though they're pining, they love each other, some more than others. But even in the best cases, there's not a human being that loves another human being perfectly. There's only been one human being who loved perfectly, and that was Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? If he could have loved you more, he would have. If he could love you more right now, he would. But he can't because his love for you is perfect. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Is it just like a Sunday school teacher when you were a child, wah, 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 wah? Or is it the most incredible thing that you've ever heard? That Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, loves you. I'm not sure this man really knew all that he was writing, but he was right to call us to praise. People, arise, sing of your deliverance. Noel, Noel, let us sing about the Redeemer. Well, this is one part of the translation that Dwight got beautifully correct. And you're about to hear it. And the words go like this. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Do you know him? Do you see? Do you hear? Listen. Look. Hark. 
Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead. He reigns. He's king. He's Lord. He's coming again. Christian, friend, listen, look, hear these words as if you've never heard them before. And if you know him, praise him. Sing about the Redeemer. Sing of your deliverance. Lord Jesus, we are a restless people. That's part of our pining. There's much noise in our lives. It's part of our pining. But Lord, you break through the noise just as you broke through that night. And the angels spoke and the shepherds went. The wise men followed a star. They came to this place that exists on this earth where there was a baby born to save his people. And Lord, we're your people. 2,000 plus years later, we're singing about you, thinking about you, listening to you, and even praying to you. And oh Lord, I pray that you would draw us all in. I pray, Father, if there's any in our midst who don't know you, that tonight would be the night that they would recognize they're apart from you. And if they're apart from you, they're not protected from that wrath. Oh, Lord God, would you save them tonight? For all who are saved this night already, I pray that you would open our hearts and fill them with affection for you. And indeed, we would rise and sing and think about every word we're singing. For it's all about your glory, this deliverance, this rescue. And so, Lord, would you help us to be still just a little longer, present and able to lean in, to hear, to listen, and to see the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.